Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Tragedy strikes people every day in America, whether it's illness or crime, maybe an accident or the heinous school shootings that we've seen. The latest senseless national tragedy was the Robb Elementary School shooting on May 24th in Uvalde, Texas, killing 19 students and two teachers. The questions always arise, why did this happen? And how can we protect our kids, our wonderful children, from further such incidents? I'm Debbie Blank, wanting to examine with you some of the general information, as well as the Bible, for the answers to these questions. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Why do these mass shootings continue to happen? We desperately grasp for answers because the consequences are so horrifying. And the raw emotions that inevitably follow end with a heartfelt cry for someone to do something. But if we just go ahead and do something based on emotions alone, we could very well end up in a far worse situation than we're in now. It seems better to insist on a well-reasoned and wide-ranging search for the truth. No matter the cause or combination of causes, something has changed in America that is allowing these tragedies, and we have to determine what it is. Yes, so when the first cry comes out for gun control, which seems logical because that's how they died, we have to stop and think about that. Realize that schools across the United States used to teach high school kids how to shoot guns. And I'm told the kids even used to carry shotguns in the back of their trucks in Texas. So we've had guns around for a long time without these shootings happening. Gun ownership, as we know, is enshrined in our Constitution. But school shootings just began with Columbine in 1999. Understanding that a few have happened over the centuries, but those were adults shooting in schools. 32% of Americans own guns. And what we found out is just in the last three years, that has increased 3%. Why? Because people need to protect themselves. That's their reason for purchasing guns. Even the Obama White House reported that firearms are used defensively to stop a crime between a half a million and one million times every single year. People want to feel safe in their homes and their environments. So is that the real problem? Is it the need for gun control? Let's look at some facts about that. Last year, there were 45,222 gun-related deaths by firearms. 54% of those were by suicide. So people chose to use their firearms to commit suicide. That leaves 43% that were by murder. Generally, 15% of the murders that take place are by law enforcement officers who are justified to do so in the line of duty. Then you have another 17% that happened because of criminal activity. Then you have gang and drug-related or mental illness issues that cause these murders also. 3% of them are accidental deaths from discharge. That really saddens me because if a person has a gun, they should be responsible enough to use that gun properly and to teach anyone around them not to use it. 
So then if you take those numbers, that means that there's maybe about 5,000 gun violences a year. Well, let's look at just some homicides in major cities. In Chicago alone, there were 797 homicides last year. Baltimore had 337, Detroit 309, D.C. 416, L.A. 396. Just take those five cities. And that accounts for 45% of the gun crime deaths. So that leaves 2,746 gun homicides for the rest of the country. Now, that's a lot of statistics. But what that shows is guns are used for homicides for a lot of different reasons that have nothing to do with children. It has to do with people who have no value for human life. It has to do with accidents. It has to do with police also. But the issue is much deeper than the guns, because as they always say, it's not guns that kill people, it's people who kill people. And we certainly know that we can look at a lot of other statistics like cars. 46,000 people die every year from car crashes and they don't regulate the cars. We have 100,000 deaths every year from drug overdose. And yet we have a plethora of drug advertisements on the TV. A lot of the drugs are by opioids, overdoses of uses of legal drugs that are prescribed. And then in suicides, in 2020, an estimated 12.2 million Americans seriously thought about suicide with 3.2 million planning a suicide and 1.2 million attempting suicide. So we've got a real issue here that isn't about gun control. It's about the hearts of man. The gun is just the tool in this instance. So oftentimes if a gun isn't available and someone's determined to commit suicide, they find many other ways to do it. I think it's really important that you broke down those statistics because lots of times that one statistic is thrown at people and you assume that everything's school shooting or and it's not. Again, it's so important to search for the truth of the matter. You're not going to get the real solution unless you're actually dealing with the truth. So breaking that down is a, a big step in doing That's that. That's right. People want someone or something to blame when there's a tragedy like this. And so guns seem to be the number one thing because a gun is generally used in that. People want action taken so it won't happen again. And we can understand that, but it is happening even though action has been taken. If you look at statistics, it's fascinating to see that Democrats and the media that really support the Democrats, they want guns controlled or abandoned completely. 91% of Democrats support stronger gun control, even annihilation of the guns in the United States. 24% of the Republicans and 45% of independents. So when we hear things on the TV, when we hear them from the politicians, it's just one side. It's not the other side. As you just mentioned, it's a lot easier to moralize about guns than deal with other explanations because those are harder to deal with, as we're going to discuss. However, no gun control would have worked at Uvalde. The gunman in the shooting purchased his two rifles shortly after his 18th birthday, and he passed a background check. Those are some of the things that they're discussing that wouldn't have made a difference. So basically, politicians are trying to legislate our worries, but that's not the answer. I considered Psalm 20, verse 7, when I was thinking about that, that says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. He's the one where we put our trust, not in the government to legislate things or to try and use a situation like this to bring about gun control. 
when we're talking about gun control and people who want to have gun control laws, regardless of what the actual reason for some of these things that are going on actually is, they want that gun control. And there are people who want to take down our Constitution. The Second Amendment is a very important amendment to our Constitution. It's not an amendment as an afterthought. It's an amendment to be featured. So many of our rights hinge on the fact that we are able to defend ourselves. Many, many countries, I have a long list, too long to to, uh, read off, the different countries that took away the freedom to own personal arms and what happened afterwards. And country after country has gone down and many people have been killed by their own governments because they gave up their right to defend themselves, let alone protect yourself from ordinary crime. So why is the Constitution so important and what are the dangers that are out there waiting to happen if we give up our rights to own guns? You've already given the answer to the dangers. Noah Webster once said, before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed, as they are in almost every kingdom in Europe. If people want to control our country, whether it's our own government or other people, they will cause our Second Amendment to be abolished. They will take away our arms because only then can they defeat us. If we have arms, we can defend ourselves. That's why the Second Amendment to the Constitution reads, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed because they recognize that if our arms are taken away, any despot can come in and control this country and change it. The only way we can have a free society is to be able to defend ourselves. And remember that gun ownership primarily is for defending oneself. But the point is, we cannot allow the Second Amendment right to be taken away, because if they can take that away, then they can take the First Amendment right of free speech. We cannot disagree with the government. We are subject to being taken over even from our own government. So the founding fathers recognized the importance of defending ourselves against enemies, both foreign and domestic. We cannot give that up. So that is one thing. A second thing that people will cry out for is more physical protection for our kids. That's understandable. We have put a lot of rules into place and a lot of structure like locking the doors of schools, like having policemen in the schools to protect the kids, but also to be a deterrent from people wanting to create havoc. Then you look at need for better trained police, faster, quicker actions. There's a lot of discussion about that after Uvalde. This is all natural, but this still doesn't deal with the major problem of the shootings. It does protect our kids more, but it doesn't deal with the major problems. So we go on to the third discussion. It's mental illness. And that type of mental illness screening, if we would do that, then we might be able to help these people before they come to a situation that they have made a decision to harm other people. You know, what's sad, too, is so many of these shooters, when you go back over the history of this in recent times, have been mentally disturbed. They've been on medications. They've actually received some sort of mental health and should have been screened in some way, shape, or form. And it's after the fact that you find this out. What can keep this from happening is not just identifying somebody, but actually giving them better help. So often when somebody is trying to help their child, and they lots of times blame the family, 
the family has been trying to get help for a long time, and there are certain rules and regulations or things that keep them from giving their child what they need as far as institutionalization. There are more and more of those hospitals that people used to be able to go to and get help that have been closed down. It's very, very difficult to find a bed if you're in that situation. It's pretty frustrating if somebody's been trying to do something and they can't be helped and then something like this happens. Well, you say there's less beds. You just look at state-run psychiatric hospitals, which house 45,000 patients. That's only a tenth of what they used to house in 1955. Instead, psychiatrists and doctors are giving people drugs, as you mentioned, also. Well, obviously, some are working and some aren't working. Some make it worse, actually. They will say some people will have a reaction. And if you watch on TV some of the side effects of these drugs where they run the list, and so often with these antidepressants, they'll say, or it can cause suicidal thoughts. So you're taking something that can cause you to have suicidal thoughts and maybe act out. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. WebMD says that nearly 5 million children in the United States have some type of serious mental illness. The American Academy of Pediatrics and several other institutes acknowledge that pandemic-fueled decline in children and adolescent mental health has become a national emergency after covid So we have some real issues on hand. Then we have kids who hear from their friends certain things that are alarms that go off, but they think they're just teasing or they're making light of something. And so, of course, they don't report it because they're their friend and they really don't think they're going to do anything. Then how do you hospitalize someone who's never taken action, even though he said or she has said that they might do something? So mental health is a huge part of this. We need to find a way to help our kids in that area. And you know, social media is such a factor too. When you mentioned posting things maybe to their friends, there are some people that will encourage this bad thinking and the bad processing. This last shooter, Uvalde, they said he put his guns online and showed people pictures. He did harassing, threatening kinds of posts to different people, and they actually complained and complained to the social media companies, and nothing happened. So you think some people just, you know, they get removed right away from social media, and other people, something like this is continued to go on, and I think that that uh, does not help matters for them to be allowed to have that kind of attention ahead of time. Virtually every one of the shooters at schools, we find out that they were bullied in school. And that's one of the reasons that they use for committing the atrocities that they do. That means the schools need to deal with the bullying. The parents need to deal with the bullying. And the kids themselves need to understand they need help when they're bullied. That's not even on the radar in most places. And yet that's the number one problem. And the social media is a form of amplification for those bullies as well. It's hard enough growing up as it is, but yeah, they have that to deal with. So let's look at the real issue, the real problem behind all of this, and that is sin. It's evil. It's turning away from God as an individual and as a country. It's turning away from his word. It's our culture that's changed. Senator Ted Cruz said in a speech a few weeks ago that events of this past week are a mirror forcing us to ask hard questions, demanding that we ask where our culture is failing. And that really is important. And then he went on to say, looking into broken families, absent fathers, declining church attendance, chronic isolation, prescription drugs and opioid use, and other collective effects. 
And then I might add into that, what about the Hollywood movies and the video games that are filled with violence in them? And then the internet content that we see, as well as the social bullying that you're talking about. All of these things are cultural. They're dealing with changing our kids' attitudes and bringing out their emotions and their feelings in a negative way instead of turning our kids back to God. If we look at the fact that 21% of 18 to 29-year-olds claim they have no religious label, that was 2010. Just 20 years before that, it was only 11%. And now it's 30%. So since 1990, we've tripled in the number of our youth who have no religious label. Only 2 to 4% of our youth claim to have a biblical worldview. And understand that kids don't figure this out on their own necessarily. They see it in their parents. They see parents who aren't going to church and aren't following God. Only 6% of adult Americans have a biblical worldview. And 47% of Americans now belong to some type of house of worship. It used to be 70% in 1999. That's a huge change. Americans are turning away from God and the kids are seeing it. And if we don't have God at the center of our universe, if we don't use him to grow closer to him and follow his laws, his directives, his love for us and his love for other people, then it's all going to be about us. It's going to be about what we want, what seems good, what we want to try with no consequences. Because the reality is in a lot of instances, We have few consequences. Now, certainly there are in school shootings, but not in a lot of other things. We go back and we look, when did all of this start? As I mentioned before, the first school shooting was 1999. But look back even further. In 1962, the Supreme Court took prayer out of our public schools. In 1962 and 63, they approved a court decision that called Bible reading and school prayers unconstitutional. So we took God out of our schools. We've taken God out of the media, out of Hollywood, pretty much. We even closed down our churches during COVID. For a long time, in some instances, we have a government that has tried to divide us so that we can't have God anywhere involved in government decisions, not even promoting Christianity, even though we were founded on those principles. So for six decades, we have progressively taken God out of our homes, schools, and cultures. What are the consequences? We have children out of wedlock. We have single-parent homes. We have abortion and sexual misconduct and drugs and opioids. We have marijuana that's even legalized in many areas and homosexuality and sexual misconduct. Again, people doing whatever they want to do because they don't see any consequences. But the consequences are changes in our culture where we've turned away from God. People keep saying, I want to get back to normal. Well, normal, as I think of it, is where people had respect for other people. That's changed now. The only way we're going to get back to normal is to get back to God. I was thinking about that kind of a childhood that we grew up with, where most of the kids I went to school with had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether they talked about it or not, it was one of those things where you had a conscience and a love for Jesus in a relationship with Jesus that got you through maybe bullying and some other things that would go on as you were growing up and would give you that attitude towards someone else that it's the golden rule. You would do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So you wouldn't go out of your way to bully somebody or hurt somebody and you would help somebody that was in that situation. 
that was more the norm when we were in school than not. When kids have that relationship with Jesus, they have that strength to do that. They have all the scriptures that tell you the right way to live, the way to love and to be peaceful with one another and to be kind. If we would go back to just something that simple, and I'm thinking about um, when they took the Ten Commandments out of the schools and they didn't want them to be on the walls. And one of the people that was saying how this was really important to take down because it might influence children. And I thought, oh my goodness, today, if you saw do not kill, thou shalt not kill every day when you went into school, maybe that might influence someone and maybe that would be a good thing. That's what we're missing in this culture is a love for God and a love for mankind. In First John chapters 1 and 2, it talks about if you don't love your brother, then you don't love God. And that makes sense when Jesus said the second commandment was to love one another. Love is displayed by caring for, nurturing, and lifting up others, not by killing them. So we have turned away from the heart of God. What do we do? If we want to protect our children and ourselves, we need Jesus. So we need to realize, first and foremost, that we can't love the things of the world. We can't be part of this culture. Yes, we live in it, but we can't be part of it. We can't make the culture our God. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. That's pretty clear right now. It's a command from God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because we can only have one God. The God is either going to be ourselves in the world, or it's going to be Jesus Christ. goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, I believe that particular passage in 1 John 2, 16 is the foundation for all other sins. The lust of the flesh is just that. It's sexual, sensual. The lust of the eyes, that's greed, wanting more. And the boastful pride of life is pride. That was Satan's sin. Those three are foundational sins for everything else. If we have those, we're following the world. But the world is passing away, it says, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So you may enjoy those lusts that I mentioned, those sins for a season, but it's passing away. God lives forever and will live forever. But the decision is, where's that going to be? If we follow God or if we follow our own ways, we'll either go to heaven or we'll go to eternity in hell. Then secondly, we need to realize that death is a result of focusing on the flesh. I mean, spiritual death as well as physical death. Romans 8, 6 through 8 reminds us that the mindset in the flesh is death. That's pretty clear. If we think about cultural things, the things of the world, the answer to that is death. But the mindset in the spirit is life and peace. I would much rather have life and peace and joy and all the attributes of the spirit rather than my mindset on my particular wants or desires from the world standpoint goes on to say, because the mindset in the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we need to be in the spirit. How do we do that? We come to Jesus. I love the passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Imagine if our kids who are bullied, who come from single parent families or parents who don't treat them properly, 
imagine if they would just go to Jesus. And I know that they probably say, well, wait a minute. He's not somebody with skin on. I need someone to love me. Well, Jesus is the best person to love them and to help them and guide them. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot of people think, well, I can't come to Jesus. He demands too much of me. We've both done that. We've come to Jesus and he does not demand anything of us. His love draws us to himself to do the right thing. Another point here is that Jesus, when we turn to him, he can take away our problems. He doesn't always do that, but he gives us a way of escape so we can endure it. But consider in Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 15, we have a story here of how Jesus is just walking from Nazareth to go somewhere else, goes by the city of Nain. What's happening? A dead man was being carried out, and he was the only son of his mother. She was a widow, so this woman didn't have anyone else. And there was a big crowd following this. It tells us in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. You see, Jesus cares about our concerns. He cares about our struggles and our problems that we go through mentally, physically, emotionally, every aspect of us he cares about. When that happened, he came up and he touched the coffin. And everyone came to a halt and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now that's a problem solver. I don't know anybody else that can raise from the dead except Jesus. He can do all kinds of other things for us, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. If we will turn to him and let him. You and I have watched him do miraculous things in our lives and in our families I don't know how we would have made it through a lot of those things if it hadn't been for Jesus. So let's come to Jesus. Remember, we're told in John 3, 16, that God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, and that's the key to believe in Jesus, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want to be loved, One person that will always love us and never leave us or forsake us is Jesus Christ. Let's go to him and find his love and nurturing and his peace, which he gives us in Philippians 4, 7, when he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Not the peace of the world or the actions or the fulfillment of lust. They don't give you peace. Only being with Jesus and following him does. So how do we turn to Jesus? We do that by placing our faith and our trust in him. In Mark 10, 46 to 52, there was a blind man named Bartimaeus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight. His faith had made him well. That was physical, but his faith also was spiritual. Because only faith in Jesus Christ can bring about these kinds of miracles. In Luke 8, 48, he healed the woman with a hemorrhage when he said the same thing. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's faith that makes us well. In those cases, they were physical wellness. In our cases, we need spiritual wellness. So that's why God says to us in his word in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
if our culture, if our families, if we individually would turn to Jesus and surrender our lives to him in faith, believing that he's God, he's the Messiah who died for our sins, who took away those sins so that we can have eternity with him in heaven. If we would believe that, our lives would be changed. You and I have had changed lives by believing in Jesus, and so can everyone else. And then once we have those changed lives, we need to continue to live with our focus on Jesus, not our focus on the world. That's the only way that things are going to change. We didn't have those problems back in the days when we followed God. We have them now because we're not following God. Let's turn to God because he can heal us and he can heal our country. And he's the only one who can. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.